This episode is brought to you by Zappos DevShop One. DevShop One provides custom web development solutions for Zappos and now for you as well. For more information on how DevShop One can elevate your web presence, email devshop at zappos.com. Hey, Adam Francis here, about ready to jump into the first episode of the Zappos podcast, where we explore the journey that ideas take from that first spark that pops in your head to something real that might actually make it out into the world. So I want to say greetings, all of you slightly weird, intently humble, change-driven, service-oriented standard bearers of Zapponian culture. Before we get to the stories we have teed up for you today, let's step into a time machine. Just in case you missed the pilot episode we released last year, so we can revisit something that Tony said. I think we have about 500 different circles at Zappos. He and I were walking near campus, downtown, talking about all the projects you guys are working on. Everything from tiny incremental improvements to those big, sometimes out-of-the-box experiments that pop up inside the hundreds of circles at the company. I'm sure each of them has a different perspective about the company, and also each of them probably has some amazing stories that most of the company doesn't know about. And Tony wanted to put those stories onto a podcast. Hearing those types of stories can help inspire other uh, folks to... Not just have an idea and let it die, but really think about how do you make that idea come to life. How do you bring good ideas to life? And we're not looking for a recipe here. It's really an open question, without a right answer, without a formula. Some ideas live, others die. Some take off and become billion-dollar companies, and others fall flat on their faces. On today's episode, three stories from people who were struck by inspiration and who each had to figure out then how to move forward to try to create something that did not yet exist. I want to make it better for Zaponians. So I want to know what their thoughts are. I put out a blueprint, they add the spice, they add extra pieces to it. The idea, in my opinion, is the easy part. Sometimes somebody comes up with the ideal and we implement it and it wasn't well thought out. I'm always straightforward with you. I'm honest. And if you're in the wrong, I'm going to let you know you're in the wrong. So once that apple falls on your head and you get this idea, this creative inkling, where do you go next? We're going to start today's episode with a story about an idea that hasn't gotten too far yet. It comes from a woman named Stephanie Johnson. That's Stephanie with a Y. The only Stephanie at Zappos with a Y. She works in customer loyalty. She's in training to be a coach. And within a few minutes of meeting Stephanie... She pitched me an idea. I think we should have a rumor room. I got the sense she had been telling anyone who would listen about this idea. 
there's always a guessing game when there's a rumor. Like, you don't know if it's true or if it's not true. It's like a phone call. Like, by the time you talk to your mom, who talked to your sister, who talked to your brother, it's not the same story. So my idea for the rumor room is to basically have a bunch of sticky notes, all different colors, and like markers, pens, where people can come in, write down a rumor that they actually heard, and we are able to dispel it, and then everybody can be on the same page. But it's anonymous. You go in there, you put the sticky note in there, and then you just walk off. You know, you don't say, I put it in there. You don't look for it. You know, you just put it in there and you walk off. When Stephanie Johnson tells you about the rumor room, you have to laugh. But you better believe she is serious about the idea. I'm really serious because I think this can turn into something good for the company. There's a lot of rumors that are out that some people don't even know if it's true or not. Like, we're going to close the call center. Amazon's coming to take over, this and that. I think if leadership was able to get a hold of some of those rumors and dispel them, send it out in an email, it makes it more transparent. It's not a guessing game. Stephanie had this idea about a year ago. She'd been observing how gossip rippled through customer loyalty teams, how the rumor mill brought stress and fear to coworkers, and she thought the solution needed to be fun and social, but it also had to feel safe. A lot of people are afraid to say something because they think, oh, it's going to be retaliation or it's going to, you know, people are going to look at me funny. That's why I said it's anonymous. She started to imagine a new communication pipeline between the employees experiencing fear and the individuals with access to information who had the power to dispel that fear. I remember going to a leadership open house and they just wanted you to just come in if you had a question for leadership to come in there if you just anything you wanted to talk to leadership about. We went down with all the girls from WowX and, you know, they had questions as well. But I just said, we just need to have a rumor room. Like all these rumors that are popping around, all these rumors that people are talking about, you should be able to put a sticky note and, you know, put it up there and put what the rumor is. I think this is a great thing. Like, let's get this started. And maybe it was just the humorous way Stephanie presented the idea. In any case, what she had to say seemed to be taken as comic relief. They laughed. <laughs> they thought it was funny. Um, they didn't laugh like it was it was crazy. They just laughed like, is this really going to work? It's been about a year. Stephanie hasn't pursued the rumor room with any kind of urgency, but she still jokes with coworkers about it. And beneath the laughter, she really does want to know, is this something worth pursuing? The reason it stayed in my mind is because working here at Zappos the last five years, I've noticed that we are always willing to try something. If it doesn't bring harm, and hopefully this wouldn't, that was one of my hesitant things. Um, as long as it doesn't bring harm to the company, we can at least try it. So we don't know. It might be a good idea. It might not be such a good idea. And that's why we're pushing it out on the podcast. What do you think about having a room at Zappos with sticky notes and pens where you could go and post an anonymous open question about a rumor you've heard? You can get in touch with the podcast if you want to share your reaction or check in with Stephanie directly. She's easy to find because she is, after all, the only Stephanie at Zappos with a Y. 
In the meantime, maybe we'll do a version of this idea on a future episode where we take on live rumors and get answers from the people who have answers. I'm for it. I'm all for it. (laughs) We turn now to another person who has a fire in the belly for new ideas. And when he starts a project or launches into something new, John Sorensen likes to subject his ideas to stress. He does some outlining, he gathers a bit of information, but at some point he wants to start kicking the tires. Break it, test it, you know, dry it up and then break it, break it again and then break it one more time before you finally get it out there. At least that way you know that, hey, we've got every single task we possibly could with this idea. Now, this is something that John brought to Zappos from his 21 years in the Air Force. They break stuff all the time. They break it down. They take the engines out. They run them through tests. They try and find the, the loosest screw because that pilot gets up in the air and you haven't taken that engine apart and then put it back together one bolt at a time, that pilot may not come back. Because I picked up broken aircraft that have fallen out of the sky, and that really sends a message to you. That if you don't take your shit seriously and try and break it and bust it down into the fine granular pieces, then what's, what, is it, what good is it going to be to the larger audience that's using it? Those are pilots out there in my vision. They're all pilots using my product. And I don't want anybody to fall out of the sky. John Sorensen works in customer loyalty at Zappos, and last year he became the lead link of LEAF, a circle that focuses on sustainability. A few weeks into this new role, he was mulling over what to tackle first when he overheard a conversation a few coworkers were having near his desk. They were just coming back from lunch and putting stuff away, and they went to put their items inside the, the trash can, and it was overflowing. And they were like making the comments like, do we even recycle? What good is this? Look at this can, it's overflowing. Do we even recycle? And that just ground into me. And he couldn't stop thinking about that trash can. And then you look around at all the floors, it's the same thing. And I thought, oh boy, nobody even knows I have this position yet. This is what I gotta do. It's mid-afternoon on a recent weekday, and John is standing over one of those same stainless steel trash cans, shaking his head. It's too small. It's just too small. It's one of those cans you'd see in a residential kitchen with a little foot pedal to lift the lid. But this lid is resting half open on an overflowing mound of paper, plastic containers, paper coffee cups. Well, you can see it's an eyesore. I mean, it's already overflowing. We've outgrown these years ago, all right? So this is an eyesore to me right now, and it's an eyesore to everybody. Zappos has hundreds of these cans, each with two small receptacles inside, one for trash and one for recycling. It's an effort to do something good, but to John's eyes, it's not as good as it could be. We're already at three o'clock. We're open until midnight, and yet that's still gonna be an overflow. And eventually, it gets commingled. And there's very little education pieces on here. I mean, there's, it, to me, it's just not, it doesn't tell me enough. Why? And What's wrong with it? It's, well, it's too small one, and it just doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have enough information or the why on here. He walks over to the seventh floor printer and points toward three giant, brightly colored cans on wheels with big signs attached. This is the new recycling prototype they've been testing out. So we have separated units, larger units, pictures, Okay, give some color verification. It's a little more appealing too. Um, with the larger bins, I'm not reducing the amount of service per day. I'm reducing the amount of bags per day. According to John, this new system will reduce the number of trash bags Zappos uses from 320,000 a year 
to just 50,000. I wanted to educate people on the things that we typically see and use here at Zappos and know where to put those. What can't be recycled? Milk cartons, those shopping bags that you get from Walmart, those can't be recycled. You can't recycle banana peels. Um, that box, once, it be, once that pizza grease gets on it, it can't be recycled again. I had no idea you couldn't recycle a pizza box. Because not everybody comes to Zappos with the home training for recycling. Maybe they don't know what tin can uh, glass or soiled means or non-soiled and contaminated recycling. You can't just put something here at Zappos and just expect people to uh, get it. It's not fair. If it's not already obvious, John Sorensen is an energetic guy. Conversations with him can be a wild ride, and you get the feeling that for every idea he talks with you about, there are at least a half dozen more swarming around in his head. During his years in the military, John says there were people who understood he'd sometimes get out ahead of himself. John called these people his no-bullshit crew. In the Air Force, there was a crew, and they were usually higher-up NCOs or officers that you know, uh, knew that there was a guy named John running around with an idea and just needed a little more direction. And they would capture me and slow me down and say, look, this is great what you're doing, but this is probably not the best move, John. <laughs> you might want to restructure this or maybe ask some more questions or take some more time on it or, or speed it up and get it done right now. They just kind of pull you back a little bit to go forward. Four years ago, John left the Air Force to start a new life. Then I land at Zappos. And it's like the Wild West out here sometimes. You have an idea, you just go. And if it doesn't hurt your circle or turn the company backwards and the answer's one or more and one of the core values, it's a go. But you still have to cross-check your stuff. You have to find people within this beautiful utopian bubble we have here within this culture that gives you that cross-check. So he's found at least a few people who keep him in check at Zappos. These are folks that have actually called me out on stuff. I'm one of these people. I will take the bull by the horns. They will usually find holes in what I think is an armor-proof idea. I don't like people who pussyfoots around. I'm very direct in what I say. Give it to me straight. Crystal Mizan was my very first number one go-to gal. A former Marine, so, you know, don't want to mess with her. She'll see right through me. And Daniel Oakley, he's he's tough. That guy will come at you. I've been at Zappos for almost four years. Daniel's my crunch time guy. I think John sees me as a no-bullshit guy because I tend to keep it 100. From the get-go, I'm always straightforward with you. I'm honest. And if you're in the wrong, I'm going to let you know you're in the wrong. Which brings us back to the recycling stations. Once John had a rough blueprint for the changes he thought would work, he checked in with Crystal Muzan about it. When we were talking one day, I said, learn your key people. Learn the people you need to go to to ask for help. You want to get other people's input because it's not all about you. It's about the company. What I did is I grabbed various groups of people all over campus-wide, diverse departments and, and age groups, some tenured folks, brand new folks, and some middle ground like, like three to five years here or five to six years here. Without taking a formal survey, it was my own internal kind of temperature check. And later on in the project, John started to work on the graphic design elements. So every time I got a graphic back, I would call D. Oaks over. That's Daniel. When John brought me back in to help with the visual portion of it, I want to say it was too much going on in such a little space. And I say, hey, man, how does this look? Does it look readable? Does it look fresh? And he's like, no, man, you got to change all of that. The picture is what should have caught your attention. And there was all these words going on around it. And I was like, John, kiss it. And he goes, what do you mean, kiss it? I'm like, keep it simple, stupid. You want everybody to stop what they're doing, have that catch their eye. Once you get their attention, 
boom, done. That's what I wanted. He took out some of the words, made the picture a little bit bigger. I go, now, give me your old one, give me the new one. At a distance from each other, which one catches your eye better? Since he first started fuming about those silver recycling cans, John's come a long way. What first seemed like a mechanical problem and a simple matter of getting information out there has turned out to be more complex. John realizes he needs to transform your mindset in that split second before you throw something away. I reached out to Crystal Mizan. I said, Crystal, what would we need to do to really get people on board with this? And then she flat out said, you've got to teach people. You've got to teach people. To not just know how to do it, but why it's being done. And now that John and his LEAF teammates are on the verge of launching the new recycling stations campus-wide, this is the deeper effort that will keep them circling back to the drawing board and trying to poke holes in their plan with many more no-bullshit conversations, which is exactly where John wants to be. I gain a lot of value from the people that I've worked with here at Zappos. The ideas and the energies and the synergies that are all connected together, really, really constructive criticism, those opinions that really matter, those pieces and parts are so fun to work with. And for our final story today, we turn to a guy who has recently come back to Zappos after nearly a decade away. When he left the company the first time in 2010, Brian Kalma had been at Zappos for eight years. At first, he took a job at another company, but eventually he realized he wanted to try his hand as an entrepreneur. I had an idea I couldn't get out of my mind, which isn't necessarily the best reason. The idea popped into his head because of starfish. Brian had always seen starfish as harmless, motionless, animals that didn't really do anything. They seemed like ornaments on a Christmas tree, more of an object than an actual living thing. But then, Brian stumbled on a surprising fact about starfish. Strangely and bizarrely that starfish eat mussels. How could it be, he thought to himself, that starfish are actually meat eaters? that they hunt other shelled creatures in the ocean. I just couldn't imagine that this wall decor of an animal can move, can bend, can crack open something that is covered in a shell, dispose of the shell and eat the insides. I, I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't wrap my head around it. But what surprised Brian the most was his reaction to learning this little tidbit of information about starfish. As a result of that experience, I bought an admission to uh, the aquarium in San Francisco to learn more about it. And that sort of sparked my own personal interest in marine biology. I mean, I'm not, you know, crazy nuts about it, but it's an it's a interest and it was a passion sparked by that fact that I learned. It was over the course of time I started to realize that I had more moments like that where a fun fact or a WTF sort of fact would garner my interest in a new topic. And so Brian began to think about this experience as something he'd like to replicate for other people. Others would want to learn more about any respective topic if we could introduce them to something that was compelling enough to pique their interest. So he set about designing an online experience that would recreate his own. Yeah, well, the idea in general was to create website, mobile-friendly, that would allow you to sift through a bunch of cards that had fun and interesting facts. 
but taking these facts and presenting them in front of people, allowing them to geolocate themselves and say, listen, if you like this bit of data that's here right in front of you, hey, a mile away, there's a documentary being shown about it, or there's a class down the street about this topic, or there's tickets to the aquarium because that's related to this topic. I was trying to divert educational interest into commerce through local institutions. Let's remember, this was 2010. The online world was a bit different back then, less crowded, less overwhelmed by noise than it is now. And at the time, Brian felt an overwhelming urge to bring this idea to life. He even had a name. Snipwits. It was a cute name. Uh, uh, Snippets of information that could make you more witty. So kind of like cocktail party physics, but more broad. Yeah, correct. That's a great one. Where were you when I needed you? Before long, he purchased a domain, snipwits.com, and he threw himself into Snipwits full-time, convinced it would be wildly popular. I worked on it for eight months. He worked on it all the time, really. Consumed my nights, my weekends, and my dreams. 110% of my time, and I don't even really know how to account for that extra 10% other than, you know, it became an obsession such that if I wasn't actually sitting there doing the design work or or sifting through the new facts that were being put into the engine. I was constantly thinking about it, obsessing about how to improve this, obsessing about how to market it, how to figure out how to get more people to use it. It turned into one of these things where I couldn't turn off my brain. In his years at Zappos, Brian had helped lead some of the company's early success. He'd worked as a designer, so he knew his way around graphics. He'd worked on user experience for Zappos.com. So when it came to Snipwits, he thought he knew what he needed to do. He moved forward with a founder's drive and a sense of purpose. And what followed was a period where things snowballed quickly. First off, I started off with a little bit of research, trying to understand what was out there. from there, I did ha- originally have the idea of the name in my head because it's something that I've been ruminating on for quite some time. And through that process, I did some paper prototyping and just, you know, pieces of paper, you know, conceptualize what this app could be. And I had a few friends play with it and use it. We're talking index cards, you know. Um, and once I understood that some people could be engaged with this, I went straight into digital, de- you know, designing this thing digitally and went out. Uh, to Poland to a development team that I had become acquainted with to get this thing built on the cheap, uh, relatively still with high quality. And it was uh, enough to get me a concept that I could put out into the world and get some attention with. But as he got deeper into debt bankrolling the project, Brian soon realized he was stuck. And not somewhere in the middle of the race course, but back near the beginning, near the starting gate. Because I was able to get anyone to try this thing once, but I wasn't able to get people to stick with it. And that, to me, set off some alarm bells as to, hey, maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way. And many things that I had learned at Zappos and other places almost got pushed by the wayside. And I wasn't operating and applying my knowledge the way I would had I been working on a product like this at someone else's company. And I got so excited and excitable to work on this that I overlooked some of the basics, like truly understanding what the problem I was solving was. During the early days of Zappos, Brian had witnessed how passion and drive among employees had brought the company success. But now, things seem to be going a different way. With Snipwits, his passion seemed to be a liability. 
my passion put blinders on me. And uh, that, to me, is where failure began for me. By this time, it was the spring of 2011. He was living in New York City. I was down in the dumps. I was stressed. I had not had income for eight months. My bank account was getting lower. And I'd put $75,000 into it. And I was beating myself up. That was when I realized to keep this thing going would require raising funds. And raising funds, you know, you're not just accountable for yourself anymore, you're accountable for someone else's money, which puts a whole nother level of stress and anxiety on oneself. And I started to think, well, is this something that I'm willing to take someone else's money for? After years of being in love with this idea, Brian found that his excitement was waning. His ambitions to do something great felt like a pressure cooker. Some days it was exhilarating, but there were also days when he was filled with anxiety, where he felt useless, days when he didn't even want to get out of bed. And then there was a day when Brian had an awakening. I don't remember the exact date, but I know I was in Madison Square Park talking to my friend Matt in New York on a cold day, and there were a lot of squirrels nearby. Matt was the founder and CEO of a successful tech company. And at the time, Brian didn't know Matt very well. This was supposed to be just a friendly meetup in a park for coffee. He had asked me a question about how am I feeling? Something about my emotional state. And I guess that was the question I needed to open the floodgates. And I just started talking. He was asking me simple questions like, well, who is your end user, why do they need this? The kind of like startup 101 questions, basically. And he started asking me questions around some of the success metrics that I'm looking at. Am I hitting them? Am I not hitting them? And a lot of the questions were light bulb moments for me. And all of those light bulbs, they gave Brian some much needed clarity. I knew after that conversation that I had made some mistakes and I had to make some decisions as to whether or not I had the wherewithal to recover from these mistakes or not. He also felt a little humiliated, a little crushed. Well, the realization was sort of depressing (laughs) um, (laughs) because it just reminded me that I can get overly excited and get blinders on based on my own personal passion. And that didn't make me feel good. It took several weeks to come to some conclusion on what I needed to do. And I ultimately concluded that I didn't want to go down the path of raising money. I wanted to find some graceful exit that may put some money back in my pocket. And once he started moving in the direction of trying to sell his company's assets, Brian found his exit. What it ultimately led to was an acquisition from the company of the gentleman I spoke to in Madison Square Park. That's right. Matt bought Snipwits.com. He did. And the technology and the team behind it. So all's well that ends well? All's well that ends well, yes. Um, Incredible learning experiences, very few if not any regrets, and a lot of things I can now apply to future discussions, discoveries, products, friendships. Net-net, pretty great. That was six years ago. Since then, Brian has had experience with other startups. He's done mentoring at a startup accelerator in Boston. He's invested in companies and taught classes at Harvard and MIT. And in early February, Brian returned to Zappos, this time to work with employees who are looking to launch their own entrepreneurial projects inside the company. We're all going to have ideas, and we're all going to get excited by them. 
you know, what I'm hoping I can do now is be able to offer some of my experience and thoughts and insights to those who are here to help them think slightly differently about what they're trying to accomplish. So hit Brian up if you want to kick around an idea that you have. And he's happy to share more gory details about his story and the lessons he's learned. And who knows, you might be able to avoid some of the mistakes he made with snipwits.com. I started too big and I focused on an idea as opposed to focusing on a problem and starting small. So here are a few of Brian's rules of thumb. Number one, try not to fall in love with your idea. Remember to focus on a problem, not an idea. The idea, in my opinion, is the easy part. The hard part is understanding what is truly wanted out in the world. And if you can fall in love with a problem, a purpose, the idea to solve it could be anything. Number two, do things that help you get outside of your own bubble. I realized I was building this thing for me. And I encourage everyone to talk to as many people as possible who they do not know. Stop people on the street, go to coffee shops, use usertesting.com or whatever product tools out there exist to get your idea in front of people who can give you real, true, honest feedback, who can tell you things you may not want to hear, and then decide whether you have the wherewithal to continue. Number three, don't go too big too fast. How far can you bring this on your own without involving anyone else in this? Are there primitive ways where I can validate this idea to get feedback from real users before actually investing much time and any money into this? And number four, swallow your pride and be prepared to make some mistakes. Maybe lots of mistakes. Yeah, it's embarrassing. After years of customer service training at Zappos, Brian basically forgot about the customer when he launched his own company. You know, as a user experience person and customer experience person, it's embarrassing to know that I, I didn't instinctively think that at my first entrepreneurial endeavor. But to some extent, it's just an expensive lesson and it's a lesson that I'm actually happy to have had, to be honest. Every successful company, every published book, every invention, every piece of artwork was once just a dream in somebody's head. So many origin stories begin with the initial spark or inkling or idea that led to this new thing. Look around you. Everything you see that is real was, at one time, imaginary. So now, Think about the things that you are certain should exist. The things that you are sure would make the world a better place. What's standing in your way of bringing those ideas to life? Well, that's a wrap on today's episode. Coming up next week, we talk with Tony about the company's unusual relationship with Amazon, about sparking innovation at Zappos, about a few of the lessons he's learned as an entrepreneur. It's more important to have lots of ideas that you can test easily and cheaply and quickly and don't be attached to the result as long as you learn from each one. This podcast would not be possible without help from Angel Sugg, Gene Markell, Jamie Naughton, Krista Foley, Dan Habel, Tyler Williams, Philip So, and Tony Shea. Special thanks this week to John Sorensen, Stephanie Johnson, Brian Kalma, and Nian Aradia. 
Our theme music was written and produced by Philip So and myself. Additional music for this episode written and produced by yours truly. I am Adam Francis. Tune in next week for another edition of the Zappos Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Zappos DevShop One. DevShop One develops technology solutions for both Zappos and external businesses. For more information on how Zappos DevShop One can assist you in your business, email us at devshop at zappos.com.